We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. I don't even know if we call ourselves the post-match podcast anymore. I need to look at the graphic, to be honest. It seems like we do so many more pods than the post-match, but I know we've had the discussion about rebranding, but um, I'm sticking with post-match podcast, and this is a post-match podcast in effect. For those of you who listened to Monday's episode, Elliot will have said that uh, myself and Clive were going to get together and just have a little chat about England women winning, um, or England and Lionesses, uh, whatever you want to call them, winning uh, Euro 2022 on home soil at Wembley Stadium. And and I guess um, just about women's football in general and what that means and where that came from, etc, etc. This is a pod that Clive and I have been promising for months and months and that we've done in snatches <laughs> kind of offline. But we figured the day after England winning the Euros final in front of 90,000 people, at Wembley Stadium, of which I was one, um, you know, s- sitting with the oiks, with the fans, uh, as I have done this whole tournament, actually. Um, so, yeah, uh, obviously joining me is Clive, who you can follow on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive, again. <laughs> hello, hello. And um, what I will say, what Tim is not telling you, is being really polite, is that every Arsenal game or Major England game, I'm on his WhatsApp asking a million questions about this player, that player, this player. And he's probably working at the time thinking, just leave me alone, will you? Just leave me alone. <laughs> so finally, we're doing the podcast to maybe get some of my questions out. Because uh, as you lot know, the best thing about football is not what you know, it's what you don't know. That's the exciting stuff, right? And and Tim, you've obviously got a massive knowledge in this space, so I, that's why I bug you, mate. So um, there's more to come. Yeah, 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 definitely. And what um what I I really kind of value um about those conversations is is I, I read something really really good literally just now that um someone I've worked with before, Eleanor Lee, just tweeted out really good like PDF. It was like it's called like the seven sins of marketing women's sport. Yeah, and uh, there's loads of stuff in there like don't 
advertise it as a cause don't like the sin of charity the sin of prophecy and like don't try and talk too much about like where's all this going and legacy and stuff like that like those are worthwhile conversations and they need to happen in certain places but a lot of things that like brands and people like that miss is like this is sport this is football this is played between elite athletes who've worked their whole you know, just like in the men's games, who've like worked their absolute asses off to get to this level, and there are rivalries, and there are people that don't like each other, and there are people that like each other, and there's drama, and there's injustice. Like, yeah. I don't know about you, Clive. I thought England were quite lucky to win the final. I thought they were second best for most I, of that game. I, I thought the energy was sapping, but I also thought the Spain game was a major, major moment because I thought Spain were brilliant. And I think, but some, how many, how many, I don't mean to separate, I know there's a big drive to not separate the game per se, but there have been many men's tournaments where we felt a little bit unlucky, shall we say, you know, in certain games, and we didn't quite, didn't quite come through. Your point there about marketing, I think it's a really interesting one. I think there is a danger, Tim, you know, about this, because it's almost like, it's almost like you're a you're a part time dad, right? You have your kids at the weekend, and when you when you have them, or every other weekend, you want to over parent. You know, you want to take them here, take them to pictures, take them to the field, and then it's almost like English, people are waking up to the day and thinking, "Crikey, have we done enough for the game? Let's try and give it everything we've got." And I'm, I've got this little nagging concern that that may be not the right way to go. Is that what you're sort of feeling in mm-hmm. the pit of your stomach? Hundred percent, hundred percent. One of the the things in this pamphlet, um, I, I call it a pamphlet because it was a in a PDF. But one of the things it said was focus on now, yeah. what's happening now, uh, because the thing is, all that other stuff, it's like it's quite interesting to talk about, definitely. But it doesn't hook people in, yeah. like telling people. Um, e- even like the stuff that's totally true about equality and things like that, like it was saying like don't sell this as like a diversity and inclusion space because mm. people will think oh that's worthwhile but it doesn't hook them like it's sport what hooks people about sport drama hooks people about sport stories things that feel unlikely like england winning this at wembley in front of ninety thousand people etc etc that's the stuff that hooks people yeah. you don't hook people by saying like um, you know, like I said, stuff that's even actually true, like, well, this is just, this is fair. And this it's just like, sell it like you sell sport, yeah. like what people watch sport for. And that's, that's what I mean about like, um, what, why I value our conversations, Clive, and, and conversations I have with others is like talking about the football, yeah. you know, and talking about that, oh, who's that centre back? And who's that midfielder? And like, you know, things like that, because that is what, hooks people and that's that you know like selling the game on its actual merit and that's you know i'm going to break one of these rules and talk about legacy now but but one of the things that it struggled with really is like i think most people when they watch like okay this is this is like good quality right i can see this is i can see these are professionals i can see they're you know they have ball contact seven days a week i can see they have strength and conditioning coaches blah 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 i can see the coaches know what they're doing i can see the tactics of the game but am I invested in the people, the characters? Do I love this person? Do I hate that person and want to beat them and want to see them sent off and everything bad to happen to them? Do like, Am I invested in the week to week? Am I thinking, oh, shit, if she picks up a booking, she's suspended for 
like Brighton at home next week and Brighton have got, you know, am I invested on that level? And that's what's that, that, I mean, that's almost like the next challenge. Right. But like I say, me and you, like, that's not my job to think about that. So I'm not going to think about it too much. Well, that's, that's really, really interesting. You know, obviously Chelsea are the mortal enemies of of Arsenal. Right. And they they say they've got a player like, I know, I know the opposition players to some teams now, right? So, someone like Erin Cuthbert, see, see her, and I see her running around midfield, and I want her to get smashed, right? And that means I'm getting more invested, you know? Maybe a year and a half ago, I wouldn't know who she was. Do you know what I mean? I know who Kim Lil was, but I'd maybe not know who her opposition is. I think that's where your knowledge comes in. I've listened to you talk about some of the foreign players for the other teams, and you know them, their backgrounds, what clubs they went for. And I think for people to get interested... That information needs to be more readily available. Like if we were doing a proper woman, like a Arsenal Vision men's podcast, I'd be looking at an app now, potentially looking at the data, looking at the, the numbers, and I, and I don't really know where to, where to go. You you may do Tim, but I don't know where to go. But that needs to change, right? Anyway, yeah. Well, yeah. I see that needs yeah. to change, isn't it? And again, it drives a different interest. It drives a different level of interest. We start to look at information. We start to look at players who have certain attributes because we've seen it and I, and that's the way we look at the game so there's a natural next layer beyond that i think the whole is- industrialization of the game the marketing of the game is that a real moment in time and i know you know about this but watching ian right after the game i'm not sure obviously you're in the stadium i'm not sure if you caught the interview but he was happy but he was a little bit angry as well he, he was angry with certain people that are riding on the back of this while not promoting it as an investment, not promoting it as something that's de- deserved investment. I'm sure you're around lots of people that feel that way, almost like the game beneath the game. Do you see what I mean? There are people mm-hmm. that are really driving that game for us. You must have, you must have strong mixed emotions today, maybe, I'm, or maybe I'm speaking for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 interesting, you know, because I've I've been talking with you know the Arsenal Women Supporters Group, uh, WhatsApp group I'm in, and and it's quite interesting because there's like there's an anxiety among like shall we say legacy fans or existing mm. fans or whatever, and I'm literally just been having this conversation this afternoon about like, oh, I'm actually like a little bit scared about it getting this big oh, because then yeah. what if like what if the idiots start coming and, you know, you get all the, like, uh, the toxic male behaviour and stuff like that. And uh, uh, my my point to them has basically been, like, look, don't worry about it. Like, the, the you know, the toxic male culture that follows, like, a lot of uh, men's football, particularly when you go to away games and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, Arsenal, exactly the same. Look at an Arsenal away end, yeah? Most people look like me. Right, yeah, you go. Yeah. You, you made the point uh, on Saturday at the Emirates about the Emirates looking very diverse. Yeah, you know, away games. It's mainly white men who yeah. are between like thirty and sixty, and there's a reason yeah. for that. There's a reason that that doesn't translate, and it's because you know, you get on a train to an away game. Yeah, there's loads of pissed lads, I, I, and I know I'm one of them, right? I, I, <laughs> I used to I'm, be. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm a, I'm a non-threatening drunk, but you know, yeah. I, I absolutely, I'm, I'm part of like that whole testosterone vibe that yeah. turns a lot of people off from going to those games. But you know, I was saying to them like, look, 
there is already a massive space that exists for those people and it's not yeah, going yeah. anywhere. Like those people aren't coming over and you can't like gatekeep and you can't like you could, the, the audience of people who reject that behavior or do not behave like that is much, much, much bigger than the audience of dickheads basically. Yeah. yeah. So like, don't worry about those like market to the, like the, hundreds of thousands of people who don't want to be like that yeah and, and it's really interesting having that that kind of that conversation that um, is it, that at the re- moment about like not gatekeeping yeah that, that is really really interesting and honest right from, from people that have been there i always say to you in one man and his dog days right literally that's what it used mm. to be like it's not like that anymore and it certainly won't be like that next season and it's gonna be quite interesting because there is a personal touch to the to the women's game you can get close mm. I mean, you've obviously got great access right but you can get close you can see the players you can chat to them afterwards they do come around and and that may change and is that for the better or for the worse so there must be a struggle with people that have maybe been attracted to the game for that personal touch and they're probably a little bit worried it's going to change beyond their recognition but i'm hoping that um it changes, but it doesn't change, if that makes sense. And it creates its own unique yeah. way of looking at it. But to your point, if it's not sport, it won't sustain. If it's not good quality yeah. sport, it won't sustain. And at this moment in time, the quality of player is just going up and up. And the quality of coaching is going up and up. And I can only see good things for the future of the game. Yeah, and it's um, you know before we actually talk about um, the actual football, which have, having said, let's talk about the football. We spent eleven minutes not talking about the football. You know, what um, like. but I, 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 I'm not going to pretend that I'm not. Um, you know that I don't have a little part of me that um, I wouldn't say is anxious, but you know, look, I, uh, Leah Williamson captained England to the euros yesterday and I, I was you know i was watching the trophy lift i was watching it on screen and it was so surreal because i was like i know this person yeah i've known this person since she was 17 like i i know her you know i hope she won't mind me saying like personally a bit like i'm not yeah. pretending like we're best mates or anything but like you know her, and she knows you, know, you and we, a lot of the a lot of yeah. the players do right so i know to, to save your embarrassment <laughs> listener <laughs> to save tim's embarrassment he knows a lot of the people around Arsenal Football Club, around the ladies' team, and and they know him. He knows some of their families as well. And I, I sometimes will, will speak to him online. And I think I, sh- I shouldn't put him in that situation because he knows these people. <laughs> you know, and I think I, I think yeah. that's that's um, so. It must be really surreal watching someone you've known for maybe five, six, seven years suddenly become one of the most famous women in the country today. That's what she is. Yeah. So. I tell you, Leah, like Leah's Twitter following, she's, and this is, she's got more followers than me now for the first ever time. <laughs> and like before yesterday, I, I don't know, I think she's on 60, 70,000 followers. It's like up to 130 today. Like, wow. like you say, one of the most front page of every newspaper in England uh, today, she's on it. And, and I, yeah, I did. I found it weird. And like, cause the, well, the, Three members of the squad, I, you know, I kind of know in in Lotta, uh, Wuben Moy, who plays for Arsenal, uh, Leah Williamson and Beth Mead. And one's captain, the other one wins player of the tournament and the golden boot. 
and and it's like and they're up on screen and like the yeah. future king of england is handing them out like here's your medal here's your here's the trophy here's your golden boot here's this here's that and i'm watching it like in, on the screen and i'm like wow like i know i know these and you 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 get the sense that i'm watching this person cross over now yeah. they've been famous like female footballers no they're famous from today they're famous footballers exactly. and that, and that's it and that's that's one of the but but i i love that as well i love that i love the fact that it's just like these people have crossed over like that people would recognize them in the street from today onwards everyone will recognize exactly. them in the street and that, and that's great but for me personally the day when i can just drop Leah or beth a whatsapp message to get them on the podcast I, I know that day, I know that day it might have already gone. It might have gone yesterday. Yep. That might yep. be it. But that's, you know, and for me personally, that's that's you know, that's something to deal with, I guess. But like obviously that doesn't matter and that's what I and we want, right? Yeah, I, I must admit it, without meaning to separate things again, I found the whole thing really refreshing, the way the England team behaved. And I sometimes feel that with the men's England team, it's an extension of certain players' brand. And become to find that way. So in the, in the in the olden days, it was like the olden days. First one was like obviously Beckham, and then became Rooney, and I, and then it's now Kane, and it becomes a vehicle for for a, for a big superstar. You know, it's all wrapped around that superstar. And I noticed the the humble way with, by which Leah led that team, and even in a trophy lift, she wanted to share it. She stuck it down and gave it to somebody else straight away so her and Millie Bright shared it and then they straight away went back to Ellen White and Jill Scott because they'd been there from the start and they deserved this moment I could see this I could see why they did that and it's like it's far more of a group mentality and I, and I really enjoyed that I really enjoyed how she's carried herself and how she's just focused on doing the job on the pitch because you do the job on the pitch that is the best legacy of all you could give to all those young girls who are now ringing up their school teachers and many school teachers are sitting at home their summer holidays right now saying we we better get football on the curriculum pretty quick because this is no longer going to work you know netball's not going to cut it anymore we need football on this curriculum really really quickly because we have to react to 17 million people watching that game live on tv I mean, things are going to change, Tim. They're going to change big time. Yeah, yeah. And to your point about um, Leah, and to pivot to talking about actual football now. <laughs> I mean, she came into she came into the Arsenal team when she was seventeen, right? Like ordinary players don't do that. The the players that have come into the Arsenal team at seventy at the age of seventeen as starters, you're talking Kim Little. Yeah. Um, I, we signed Kelly Smith when she was eighteen, I think. Um, I think we might have signed Karen Carney when she was 19 and had her for a couple of years. Like 17-year-old, all of the great players that Arsenal have had. And those of you who've watched the coverage in the UK, right, it, nearly every single pundit employed had played for Arsenal. Mm. Right, and and it was like a, it was it was, a, it was like a running joke throughout the tournament. It was just like all Arsenal panels, final, semi-final. Alex Scott, Jonas Idavall, Ian Wright, you know, and then you've got like Farah Williams, Anita Asante, all on the coverage. They've all played for Arsenal before, and and that's something as Arsenal fans to be really proud of. The reason for that is because Arsenal have been Arsenal have been in this space 
for a long, long time. Yeah. And they're not then they're not they've not done it for PR reasons and things like that. They've been in it for a long time. So all of the good players in English football have passed through Arsenal. Now in the, Even the Chloe Kelly, is that right, Tim? Even Chloe Kelly? Yep. Also? Chloe, yep. Chloe Kelly came through Arsenal's academy. Yeah, yeah. And and so, but the next tournament, the pundits, you know, once Chelsea get a few, once Chelsea have been and City, once they're into like a decade or so of, of investment, they'll have more retired players that are going into media jobs. And like someone like Karen Carney, she played for, she played for Arsenal, but she played for Chelsea as well. Yeah. But, you know, like there's a lot for Arsenal to be proud of here. And, and for Leah, anyone who watched Leah come into that team at 17 is just like, this is, this is an England captain right here. And the, only, the kind of surprise was that it took as long as it did. But the reason it took as long as it, as long as it did, Leah had to be patient because Arsenal had Steph Horton, who was the England captain, um, yeah. really great central defender. And the problem is Lear and Steph are so similar. They play exactly the same spot, that right centre-back spot. They yeah. play very similarly. So Lear had to wait. Like Her first ever England appearance was during the 2019 World Cup. She got a couple of minutes at the end of a group game. That, that's all Arsenal fans weren't 22. happy, though. They weren't happy. No, for no, no, because we could see... Yeah. We could see, we could see, but she was 22 when really she should have been in the England starting lineup at 18. It's just, there was that blocker there for her and it's gone yeah. now. And one of the smart things Serena did, it's, it's really unfortunate for Steph because she got injured when Serena arrived and the type of coach Serena Wiegmann is, I mean, she didn't make a single starting lineup change during this tournament yeah. and she was under pressure a bit from pundits like me who had yeah. some doubts about some of the players. Yep. Mary Earps, I didn't think she should be the goalkeeper. They, there's a goalkeeper called Ellie Roebuck, plays for City, yep. blinding goalkeeper. But she was injured when Serena arrived. And what Serena did was kind of just go, right, this is my team and that's my team. And I don't necessarily think it had the 11 best individuals in it, close, no. but there were some players on the bench who were unlucky to be on the bench on their pure quality. Um, but but like a player like Leah, to be given that responsibility, I've just seen her go to another level. And she, she's been ready for this for a long time, I think. Definitely. So should we actually talk about the game, Tim? I mean, yeah, <laughs> about yeah, the let's, game. Let's. So let me give you my view from, from the city, and then you can tell me how you felt in, in the stadium. Right? So, um, so from the city, obviously, I watched the Germany-France game, the semi-final, and I, and I thought Germany were incredibly intense and needed to be against a very pacey French team. And they got all around them and really broke their spirit, I felt. You know, I thought, crikey, it's going to be physical in the final. Let's see how we do. And they had the the number six in centre midfield for Germany. The Ogun, come to help me. Oberdorf. Thank you. And um, yeah. and and she was like, um, she was just smashing people, travelling across the pitch, through balls. I'm thinking we're in for we're in for a day here because Kira Walsh is so key to how we play. And I thought it could be a bit of a a cancel out clash there, but it didn't really materialise. But I'm looking at the game. I'm thinking, okay, I felt pretty confident, but we started and it. it the nerve sort of was in was in the house. I felt that a little bit, and I felt not not to every player, but to some players, they were just you could see the nerves had overcome them a little bit, or the emotion. They weren't quite as fresh as I thought they would be, and I and I felt that and I did hear you say this on the Athletic podcast, and I totally agree with you. We sort of scored at good times for us when we were a little bit vulnerable, shall we say? Mm. And I and I sort of 
they were like relief moments when we scored, you know, not moments you thought they were coming. They, they were just, it needs to happen soon. And it did sort of thing, you know, but a couple of those moments. And I felt my one tactical takeaway from the game was I felt Germany were really targeting our left-hand side into our, yeah. into our left back. Um, and we have Rachel Daly there and she's not a lefty. And she's I thought, not a left back. No, she's not a left back. She's a, again, Tim, I learned this from you. She's she, a centre she forward. She plays as she? a, she is a centre forward for our yeah. club, yeah. Exactly. So, and I'm thinking they're pushing her, they're, they're squeezing us into that corner and forcing us to exit poorly and getting waves of attack, waves of attack. And I was screaming for Alice Greenwood to come on because I felt she could pass her way out of that and that we could maintain some composure. And then, so I'm thinking they are, they, this is a, this one trying to say to people who are listening, the tactical side of, I say the woman's game, and I shouldn't say that word, the tactical side is top. These coaches know what they're doing. They absolutely target people and target areas of the pitch, just like any other game of football, you know. And um, and we were target on that side. And I felt we struggled to sort of exit and get out. And I felt we tired because of it and scored at good times. And a lot of that was caused for me. That was just by the spirit within the team. I think it held the team together at critical moments. And um, maybe we were a little bit fortunate if you looked at the game from yep. from you know thirty thousand feet, but. Sometimes it's just your moment, right? And I, and I felt it's our moment. So how did it feel in the stadium? I know you had some other tactical insights, but how did it feel to you yeah. from a uh, from sitting there next to your mum, worried to death? <laughs> how did it sound? How did it sound? Yeah, it's, uh, so I'd say of the 120 minutes, I think Germany had about 80 of them. Um, it remind. I, I think the Spain quarterfinal for England stood them in brilliant stead for this game because it was a little bit similar in that Spain. I mean, Spain passed you to death. This is where a lot of the teams conform to stereotype. Spain yeah. passed you to death, right? That's what they do. Germany press you to death. They. The thing is about Germany, they can cause you lots of different problems. They've scored more goals than anyone else in this tournament due to high turnovers. They can pass through you. They score more goals in the tournament from crosses than anyone else. Mm. The, the thing for Germany is they lost Alexandra Pop in the warm-up, the striker yeah. who has six goals in this tournament. I think that unsettled them. In Do you the think he added any England expectation? Well. Do you think he added expectations to us that the best goal scorer... Do you think that made us think, well, we have to win now? Do you think that weighed us down a little bit? Or do you think? A, a, a little bit, a little bit. But I do think in the first half, Germany's press wasn't there as well as it, it should have been. Mm. The thing, I did a little tweet thread before the game where I was talking about, like, if England want to win this, it's the quality of the long passing that's going to win it. And you saw that with the first goal, Kira Walsh's yeah. long pass. I was looking at the stats from that France game you were talking about. 13% of France's passes were long against Germany. A bit of that is because what France do is France have got two of the best wingers in the world yep. in uh, Diani and Cascarino. And what they do is they hit them early from centre half. So they play like that anyway, but Germany's press is so strong. They make you go long. Yeah. The issue for France was that only 13% of their long passes were accurate. Whereas with Germany, because they're like Germany, think of them like Liverpool, right? They yeah. squeeze up the pitch. They squeeze it's boa constrictor style. Mm. They're all really compact, really close together. But of course, when you do that, you leave space in behind. And I felt like with the wide players that England have in Mead and Hemp and the quality of the substitutes they can bring on, they brought on Chloe Kelly for Beth yeah. Mead. 
scored the winner. They've got Nikita Paris on the bench as well, who I, I feel you were calling for her, weren't you? Earlier. Yeah, you were calling for I her. I was, him. yeah. And I, I, I didn't see that originally because I, I, I watched the game like you do. We all come away with something, don't we? I didn't see that when you first said it, but then I saw the tiring of our, of, of Russo a little bit. I thought, hold on. Hold on, this is not looking good. We can't get out. You know what I mean, could we sub sub somebody? Yeah. Literally, I was thinking the same thing after a while. Yeah, because what happened was Serena's like then Germany sorted that press out at the beginning of the second half. That like the Serena always makes the same subs. So Russo for White was always going to happen yeah. around sixty minutes. Tune for Kirby was always going to happen around sixty minutes. They they were they were stripping off on 50 minutes on that yeah. bench because Serena could see straight away, right, Germany have sorted their press out. They made a change at half-time. They brought on a player called Vazmuth, who unfortunately did a bit of a number on Arsenal. I, I had a little bit of um, PTSD watching this because Germany have five or six Wolfsburg players in their team and Wolfsburg beat Arsenal in the Champions League because they pressed the absolute hell out of us and we yeah. couldn't get away. And Serena realised, right, we've got to go long now that's how we get out of this and Toon and Russo come as a pair not just because they play for Manchester United but Russo's your target striker she's brilliant in the air brilliant hold up again think of her a bit like Giroud and Toon is a bit Ramsey she runs onto the knockdown that's what she does she's an off the ball player Toon she's not as nice on the ball as Kirby but she she makes that run and obviously that's where the goal comes from and the problem for England was that worked straight away. Like within three minutes of them coming on, Toon scored. And at that point of the game, it's 1-0. And actually, that that was a great sub for 0-0. But once England were 1-0 up, they needed something else. They almost, like if there was rolling subs, you'd have got Toon off, uh, sorry, Russo off, yeah. and gone, right, Germany are going to push up, space in behind, we need someone to run in behind and you, you either put Ellen White back on or Nikita Paris to stretch them. But that's yeah. not Russo. Russo comes to meet the ball. Yeah. And so England were really struggling with that press. And I tell you, Clive, like like you said, you know, the, the two England goals came at the time where I, I felt they were playing the worst. Yeah. The Germany goal was coming. Like that oh. Germany goal was coming 10 minutes before it arrived. And the second it went in, I was sat with a couple of my mates as well and I said, I tell you, I'd take penalties now. That's how I felt. Yeah, they were they were literally deaf by a thousand cuts on that on our left hand side. It was pass, 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 and I'm thinking, oh my goodness! And you could feel it ebbing away. You could, you could feel it ebbing away. I kept looking at the clock. It's like seventy minutes. I mean, nah. this this is you not, can't survive. This. this is not happening. And the goal was almost like a relief. I finally got it over with. You know what I mean, they've scored. Now we have to react. You know what I mean? And um, mm. and on the goal, I felt obviously Daly didn't Daly didn't get back in originally, and then and Leah had to come out and meet the the, the cross on the right hand side, and no one fills into a hole, side foot top of the net, bang! It's like clinical, clinical mm. offensive rotation beats defensive cover. Simple as that, and people look tired. They look tired because they were chasing, chasing five yard passes, dropping in behind, chasing. And of course, that's exactly why they do it. People pass you to death because they want to maintain waves of attacks. They can tie you out to create that two, three yards they need to slide for the internet. And I you thought know what that was... goal felt like to me. That Go goal felt like Eto Champions yeah. League. Final yeah, 06. yeah. Oh my goodness! It felt like 
it felt like, oh, yeah. fuck, there it is. There it is. Uh, we knew it was coming. We kept looking at our watches because we were both in the stadium that day. And uh, we're looking at our watches thinking uh, there were people crying at half time in that stadium thinking, when's it going to yeah. be over? <laughs> you know, And it felt like that. It felt that's a very good shout, Tim. It felt like that. Um, but then the moment came, the moment of truth at 1-1. I'm thinking, okay, this is it. Forget women's or men's. This is England history we're talking about now. How is this going to weigh on these players? What's going to be different? And for me, well, for you, Tim, what do you felt was different that actually got us over the line? Was there anything that you could pull out or was it just a collection so, of a number of things? So probably a collection of a number of things. And any team that wins a cup tournament gets luck. Mm. England have had luck. I don't think they deserve to beat Spain. Um, well, in the once they equalised against Spain, they definitely deserved to win. But I yeah. don't. I didn't like the equal. That equaliser felt like it came out of nowhere in that Spain yeah. game, and in this game, you know, a little bit of luck. the 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 thing I think that really happened here, you know, you're talking about the weight of history and all of that, and that does weigh on the England women's team. They've never won anything. They got to the final in 2009. You know, it's not their first rodeo in a final. For most of these players, it is. Jill Scott was involved in the 2009 final, but no yeah. one else other than that. The, the difference, honestly, I think is the coach in Serena. And as much as we don't really usually talk about intangibles on this podcast, yeah. Serena has an aura, undoubtedly, and not only, and she's always had an aura, but she's coming into this. She won the 2017 Euros with Netherlands, also on home soil, so completely recognizes and understands that pressure. Got to the 2019 World Cup final, USA won that day, but you know, the best performing European team yep. in, a, in, in the last World Cup, and she gets to this final, and undoubtedly, that carries with it. You know, aura is something. Aura is something that snowballs, and Serena's got it. And and you know what, Serena is like um, nominative determinism as a name because she's serene. And yeah. in fact, some of the things, and I, I followed the Netherlands team a lot because there are lots of Arsenal players in it. And and it's sometimes some someone's like strength can be a weakness, but sometimes like a weakness can be a strength. And it's almost like a joke about Serena. It always was with Netherlands. Like she never changes the team, never, ever changes the team. And everyone's like, fuck it. How's she still in the team for Christ's sake? <laughs> and, and you talk about Rachel Daly there. There's a couple of games now, Rachel Daly. Oh, the Spain game. Back. I mean, she yeah, got nutmeg in the box and fell over. And then got substituted. Yeah. I mean, as a fullback, that's like your heart being taken. I'm thinking, well, that's yeah. it. She's done and she's back next game. I had a good game, by the way, the next game. Yeah. So, um, so, Yeah, exactly, exactly. And and that's where it kind of feels like a weakness in Serena somehow, but it's also a strength because the players know what's going to happen. And she creates like that environment that's kind of I guess a bit predictable well not predictable but continuous and I think that makes players feel quite at ease yeah um, and and even like the subs right Russo like in any other circumstance Russo might have been sitting there going why aren't I starting I've scored four goals in this tournament why aren't I starting but she knows she's coming on in the 60th minute she knows yeah. she is and there's something about that pattern where it's like okay I'm not going to start but I'm going to get my 30 minutes and it might go to extra time. So I'll get my 60 minutes and I'll share it with Alan White. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I imagine, and I'm told Serena explains that 
to players really well. So they all know, they all understand their role. And I really, and I really think there's something about aura presence, but the way she communicates with the players, the way, and the way she communicates maybe with the players that aren't playing or that who, who come in, like she convinces them of how valuable they are. I mean, there's a, that's a really good point. I did hear about the fact she told players what their role was. So even the ones mm. that potentially weren't playing, they knew their role. I didn't see any, I know when you win a tournament, you don't see unhappy faces, but I didn't see any, any unhappy faces until your point. Everyone did seem to know their role. And I had, you know, when I'm looking at a football match, you know, like I do with Arsenal matches, I'm thinking, okay, I'm looking at this team. I'm thinking, well, Frank Kirby's not doing much. Do you know what I mean? She's not doing much there. Um, Rachel Daly, I'm not sure about her. Ellen White, I'm not sure about her. And then you think, actually, with the five subs again, you can see roles. You can see roles developing. Again, it's like it's a change in our mindset. So Frank Kirby's had some bright moments in the tournament. But if he doesn't play well, it's no drama. There's someone else to come on, mm-hmm. you know, who's has wonderful talents and can really impact the game. And Russo's another example. And Alice Green was another example. And there are other left backs in the squad, defenders in the in the squad, that probably felt a little bit unlucky, you know, that they didn't get more minutes, you know, and I think that was for maybe just before the tournament. But she managed to keep them all on board. And I will say, what made me what convinced me about her, not that I need convincing, that when the press conference came when I named the squad and Steph Houghton wasn't in the squad, and the English press thought we'd give her a bit of a kicking over this, she dealt with them. She dealt with them and said, no, not ready, not there. Sorry, that's it. Mm. Yeah, and just put them in their boxes. And I thought, oh, she can deal with this lot. She's going to have, you know, she can easily do her own players. And I was really impressed with her that she didn't worry about dropping somebody that wasn't ready, that's been there for a long time, missed out on a golden moment, but she wasn't ready. And there were other players that were more ready and she selected them regardless and I think it was he showed a, le- a level of inner strength that surprised me as a, a watcher from the outside shall we say that's very Arsenal centric I thought she was fantastic yeah and there's there's I I was saying to my mum after the game as well I do think there's something in the fact that you know in the women's game there's there's a lot of male coaches uh, a lot of female coaches but the ones that win international tournaments tend to be female coaches the last four in this tournament, all the semi-finalists. Uh, oh no, sorry, Sweden. Peter Gerhardson, um, who, who's a very good coach. Yeah. Um, but I do think there's something in that. I, I really do. I really do think there is something in, like, um, you know, a, a group of of women, particularly in something condensed like an international tournament, where you're in each other's pockets all day, every day for like three, four weeks or whatever. I do think there is something. I don't know what it is. Um, and you know, I'm not really qualified to comment. Um, I don't think, but I do think there is something in that, you know, I, I guess that matriarch figure, I don't really know if that's the right word, but I do get that vibe from Serena, but let's pivot, pivot it a little bit more Arsenal because we've spoken about Leah and, and by the way, for people who who don't know, Leah doesn't usually play left center back. She plays right center back at Arsenal, but Millie Bright plays right center back as well. So she was a little bit out of position in this tournament. And I tell you the, the development in her game as a, she was always a brilliant passer, but as a defender, I think she's just come on so, so much. And I spoke to her, um, just over a year ago after she signed a contract to Arsenal. And I kind of said, 
like you know on the pitch like what's next for you what what's the next layer you want to add to your game and she said people always ask me about my passing and she was like I know that's important I know that's a big feature of my game but she said people don't talk about my defending and she said there must be a reason for that and she said I want to be like I want to be a better defender I want to be ruthless and I really think what she's what I've seen grow in her is because she's she's got like fire when she plays and sometimes I think a couple of years ago she used to get stuck into referees and things like that she's toned that side down she's still got that in one-on-one duels she's built up this like ruthless aggression but kind of faded down some of the other stuff and and I, I i think she had a brilliant tournament i think she was brilliant in this game as well i don't know what you thought of, of how leah played in this game well I, i've been looking at i looking at her and millie bright actually and i think they're actually a very good combination they really do work you know millie bright is obviously more physical and she gets a lot tighter and she's harder to move and leah's very smooth her distribution is top really is top and I, and I thought she was fo- almost faultless in this tournament and when she made a mistake her reaction to correct it was incredibly quick you know and I was one Tim I'll tell you now I think I whatsapped you there was a warm-up game which she played in midfield probably the first warm-up game I thought she was brilliant and she had number eight in her back and I always wondered if that was the plan and and Lottie started at the back and Alex Greenwood came on in the second half of that friend they can't remember what to team it was mate I know you already know but and and they were looking at the they were looking at that left centre back position obviously and then the next game Leah went to the back and I asked you the question what do you think she's better at the back or in midfield because I thought she was outstanding in midfield and you shut me down and said she's better at the back <laughs> end of story she's better at the back and I thought okay so, but to have that even have that conversation is a good it's a good thing isn't it the, the fact that she could be an eight box to box energetic passing eight because England lacked that um, versus a centre-back where she controls a team for the back end of the pitch. So, Yeah, yeah. And and that was the the reason she was wearing number eight. <clears throat> Excuse me. You look at the squad numbers. She had number eight. Greenwood had number five. The mm. reason for that is because in all of the warm-ups, Greenwood has been the left centre-back. In fact, Greenwood looked like the lock yeah. in defence because she's left-footed. And it was like, it's going to be Greenwood and one of yeah. Brighton Williamson, but Williamson got named captain, so she's definitely in. And they were playing Leah in midfield, and that's she can play in midfield. She has played in midfield a lot. Um, the, the issue, though, was that England already have the midfielder that Leah is in Kira Walsh. That That's the type of midfielder mm. Leah is. She sits at the base of your team and she distributes. What England didn't really have coming into this tournament was a proper number eight, particularly yeah. when Jordan Nobbs got injured. And so she was kind of almost playing there out of default just because like Jill Scott's 35 yeah. and Jill's had that position for years and years, but she's 35 now. She can't really do 90 minutes every week. The, the job you saw her do in this game, I thought she was brilliant when she yeah. came on. Yeah. I thought she was what England needed because England, one, one of the England's successes in this tournament is to understand when they've been on the back foot. And like against Spain, Serena had no qualms about going, right, we're going route one. And we're gonna we're gonna be meat pie sausage roll here. Yeah. We're gonna be we're gonna be stereotypical English. She put Millie Bright up front against Spain. She went long. This game, she recognised when Germany were on top. She's like, right, we're getting Russo on again. We'll go long. Right, 
Germany are on top of us again. We're going to put Jill Scott on. Jill Scott, at this point in her career, is not going to pass you to death. What she'll do is what you saw. She'll yeah. compete. She'll she run will about. run herself ragged and she'll fight with players <laughs> like she did. Yeah. And she'll get booked herself, but she'll get other players booked and she'll break down the game. That, that's what she does now. It's not what she's done historically. Yeah. That's what she does now because she's very experienced and she understands game state. So Jill Scott comes on. Basically, you know when players scuff the penalty spot up yeah, when there's yeah, a penalty? Yeah. <laughs> that's almost like, that's how like Jill rolls, like Jill's, um, Jill Smith. Jill Scott's tactical role in this England team was. Yeah. It's almost like Germany is striding up to the penalty spot. Let's scuff it up. Let's scuff it up. <laughs> Stuff Let's like distract that. them so, and take the momentum away from them. And just when I, when exactly. I create a foul, let me argue with the ref and maybe push a player and just sort of distract them, unsettle them, set a different tone. Yep. Give others a chance for a breather and to say, "Come on, let's get together." And those, I mean, those sort of players are in val- I call them tone setters. They're in val- they're invaluable. They create mm-hmm. momentum within your own team. And I thought when she first came on, I thought, "Oh, she's not really at the pace of this," but she didn't stop running, did she? And she got closer to the ball. She got no. closer to the ball. She got closer to the ball. Next to me, she's got the ball. Now she's moving it. Now she's fouling people. Now she's tackling people. It's almost like an increasing level of involvement and influence and more she stayed on the pitch. And I thought it was a very smart move by the coach to get her on. I have to say, I misread a couple of players, Tim. I, I put my hands up, right? So I thought I thought Stanway was more of a 10. And I, I was surprised she to see her. Is. Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought. So she sort of dropped a bit further back. And I did think that Toom was more of a 10, but more of a playmaking 10. But actually seeing her, she's definitely more of a running 10. And she almost like runs past yeah. Russo. And I, and I misread that. I thought she was a bit more high touch than that. And I think, I know we spoke about this offline before, but I think Kirby's role in the England team is, versus the Chelsea team is it's not quite the same. I'm not, I can't quite grasp it. But it doesn't. her influence doesn't feel as big as it does for Chelsea. What's no, because what, what Chelsea, yeah, what Chelsea do, the thing is, the, the England team is mainly Man City, right? Man City mm. got the most play because Man City's whole strategy is we buy the England internationals and, and has been for a little while. So, so it's more a Man City team and Man City are a 4 3 3 possession team. Chelsea aren't. Chelsea are, they're a counter pressing team and they play a front three of Kirby, Harder, and Kerr and what they do they play on transition for a start which England yeah. don't really do but their front three is completely fluid and that's what makes them so hard to deal with because if you're a defender playing Chelsea like Kerr will be on the right wing one minute up front the next Kirby hard they all just completely change right, got it. and not just within the pattern of the game like off the ball what they do with their three strikers is they just sit them against your defenders like Kirby, Harder, Kerr. They don't they don't do anything in their own half. That's not what they're supposed to do. What they do, what Emma Hayes does, she keeps them up and she basically says, Well I've got three players up there, you've got to keep at least three players back. Probably yeah. four. Yeah. So what they do is they pin you back because they just say, We're we're leaving our three up here. They're not going backwards. And yeah, you might find some space, but as soon as we get the ball going over the top of you yeah and what they do is they all rotate they all they always look for that channel sometimes a Kerr runs into it they got Beth England as well sometimes and she's a very Jamie Vardy style striker yeah. 
loves to run into the channels. And you saw Beth England was in this squad, right? Didn't play a minute of this time. Unlucky not to play, I must admit. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and that's because of the type of player she is. She's a Chelsea player and England is not a Chelsea team. Mm. And, you know, the, the significant Chelsea player is Millie Bright because she plays at the back. So in this team, in the England team, Kirby hasn't always found a role because she's not really a winger. She's not really a striker and she's not really a 10. For Chelsea, she's all of those things at the same time. But England don't play like that. So they've played her at 10 in this tournament, which she can do because she's a brilliant player. But you're right. It's not what she usually does. What it's it's because England don't play Chelsea football, basically. Yeah. So, like you say, what England have basically done, and also Kirby hasn't played a lot coming into this tournament, so she was never going to be a 90-minute player anyway. She had, uh, not last season, season before, she had perigarditis, um, an inflammation around the sack of her heart, which right. was very serious and kept her out for a while. She came into this season and she didn't play after early February because she had like unexplained fatigue. And it might be related to the pericarditis. They, they oh. didn't know what it was. So she didn't play for three months coming into this tournament because she said like she could barely get up the stairs. Um, so she was, so it was like, it was a big effort for her to get to the tournament at all. Having got here, she was never going to be a 90 minute player. So I think Serena devised that. I'll share the game with two yeah. with her. Ellen White's 34. Yeah, yeah. Ellen White's 34. She's had three ACL injuries. She's not a 90-minute player anymore either. So I think Serena was quite clever in terms of, I'll share the game between different players. And and it worked very well. I will say, though, obviously we're talking about Arsenal players a little bit. Well, we're going to now anyway, because there's one player that really has shone for the whole season playing for Arsenal and really on a resurrection tour, really, post the... The deselection from the Olympics team and and ever since that moment, whoever didn't select her for the Olympic team, we should give them some thank yous because she's been brilliant for Arsenal since then in Beth Mead and she just turned to a different player and she told everybody why she's been a different player and what it's meant to her to be included again in the England team and she hasn't had to change the game too much playing for England because the wide roles are, are perfect for her and the, the way she plays them wide but then coming inside make it almost like a two plus one in up front person on the left, on the right or left crossing and have two strikers in the box you come in you tuck in she's made for it and I mean all Arsenal fans today also focused on Leah as a captain and she lifted the trophy but Beth me golden boot player of the tournament I mean what can you say Tim I mean outstanding yeah her development has just been so interesting because she started as a number nine right and, and she was a number nine when Arsenal signed her. She played for Sunderland. She scored 77 goals in 78 games for Sunderland. That's how mm. prolific she was as a penalty box Ellen White-style striker. And she was a striker when she came to Arsenal, but then Arsenal signed Vivian Miedema and kind of said to her, look, you're not playing up front anymore. <laughs> so if you want to be in this team, you're going to have to go wide. And she didn't really want to do that at first, but she was smart enough to say, okay, but I've come to Arsenal now. I'm not Sunderland anymore. I've come to Arsenal and I want this to work. So, all right, I'm going to do it. And she became a winger. The, the issue for Beth was that when she became a good winger, but she lost her appetite for goals. 
And um, I interviewed her in December 2020, like during lockdown, um, just after she had her 100th appearance for Arsenal. And I, I, I spoke to her about this. Like, this is where sometimes having a good, like people ask me sometimes, is it is it like always a good thing to have like, you know, I guess like a mm. bit of a closeness with the players? And, and yeah, sometimes, you know, it, it can go either way. But I try and turn it into a strength because I think I can ask players stuff, um, you know, quite frankly. And I said yeah. to her, like, how do you feel about, scoring goals though because she was breaking assist records that's what she was doing broke the assist record for the WSL she broke the assist record WSL in a season but she was scoring three and four goals and I said like how do you how do you view that now and she said and and this was you know 18 months ago she said yeah I I don't really look at goals anymore it's assists that's what I look at I spoke to her again after the last game of this season so in May and this season double figures for goals and assists and I said to her, you told me that 18 months ago, and I'll admit I was a little bit like, not worried, but I thought to myself, hmm, I, I said, like, I think you lost the hunger for goals. And she said, yeah, you're right, I did. And essentially what happened with her, first of all, like you say, she got left out of the Team GB squad last summer, but also Arsenal signed Nikita Paris and Tobin Heath last oh, summer, yeah. two really top-class wide forwards. And she said to me, she was like, I realised it was more that, than the GB thing. The GB thing lit a fire under her. Yeah. And it also meant, by the way, she had a full preseason last summer. So she came into this season flying. And the thing she built this season was consistency. She was, you could see there was a world class player there, but we saw it in patches. Um, and then she'd like trail off a little bit. This season, you know, this season just gone, won the player of the season award by a mile, absolute yeah. mile. And she said to me, when we signed Tobin and Nikita, I, th- I thought to myself, these players do both. They score yeah. and they assist, and I've got to do both. And another thing that's gone in her favour is that Jonas Eideval's come in. He's moved to more of a counter-pressing style. Beth is one of the best pressing forwards in the world. Um, and so Jonas loves her. She really fits his style. And, and so a bit more direct that, like, under Jonas, aren't we? A little bit more direct, would yep. you say? We get the ball forward Big more time. quickly. And she's fast, isn't she? Yep. She's quick, so she can move and be more mobile. Whereas under Joe, I, well, you know, Tim, the build-up was a bit more, was a bit slower, a bit more pattern yep. play. And it was, it was just about a few more passes at that time. You can lose a little bit of interest. So if you're a bit of a runner, if you're an athlete, yep. you're not sure when yep. to go, when to commit. So I, the style difference has definitely made a difference how she played, I agree. Yeah, yeah. And now she's more of an inside forward and less of a winger. And that's helped her for England as well, because that's what Serena wants. Serena managed a Netherlands team that had Lika Martins one side and uh, Shanice van der Sanden the other. Now, Shanice van der Sanden's career has taken a bit of a downward turn. She's she's a bit frustrating um, and a bit inconsistent, but Shanice van der Sanden on her day will burn you inside and out. Very traditional kind of outside winger and that that's how Serena played with Netherlands it was Lika Martins Shanice van der Sanden with Miedema in the middle very very like deliberate um you know front three again not pattern play it's just feed the wide players get it in the middle and and that's and and so one of the things that England have done really well this tournament is the other the you know, when the ball's on the left with Lauren Hemp, Beth Mead comes in, attacks yeah. the back post, and vice versa. Yeah. So when Beth Mead puts a cross in, Lauren Hemp's there on the back post. Yeah. And that, that's one, one of the things that, England Tim. did really well. <laughs> yeah. Two, two yeah. plus one and system. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And and it's just been it's been a pleasure to watch Beth go from this very good player to this like world class player. And me and my mates were saying we're like, she's gonna be up there for the Ballon d'Or. She oh. is, because Alexia, um, who won it last year and, and, and is the best player in women's football, Alexia Puteas, did did her ACL the day before the tournament started, like really tragic but it means she's not going to be in the running anymore. Yeah. So it's actually more up for grabs this year because imagine like um, Messi gets an ACL in June, like all of a sudden, you know, Lewandowski, Neymar, I'm talking a few years ago, but, but you know, like Lewandowski, Neymar start going, oh, maybe I might be able to win the Ballon d'Or. <laughs> Beth's just won the Euros, player of the tournament, golden boot. Like that puts you in there. That puts you in there. Like she's going to be on that shortlist. It does. It does. I, th- I suppose well, after the England games now, after they get themselves out of Trafalgar Square Fountain and start to <laughs> get on the next round of drinks, my, you know, our heads also turned towards the WSL, didn't they, really? And mm-hmm. and Serena said something in the interview I caught. It's really, really interesting. She's a smart lady. Um, she spoke about also like, the extra fame the players will have now and how they may yep. need some support. Right, because mm-hmm. you now we're talking about was it, was it three to four thousand at Bournemouth potentially, approximately, and yep. suddenly it's eighty-eight to eighty-seven thousand in change at Wembley. You know, seventy thousand at Old Trafford. Your lives are going to change, and this is all new. It's never happened before, so that support's going to be quite interesting to see how these players get supported emotionally, and secondly. I think Arsenal players are back at pre-season right now, aren't they? The the first team squad. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure where WSL starts, but do you have a concern that potentially there could be a, a, a struggle for focus in the early phases? Or do you think, actually, they want to play tomorrow? I can't wait to get back and see how the game transfor- <laughs> transformed. I think it will be more of the latter. It's September the 11th, um, mm. the, the first WSL game of the season, and Arsenal are away at Man City oh, wow. um, that first weekend. So, um, and, and Man City have got more England players than Arsenal have. Yeah. <laughs> Arsenal's like a slightly more international cast. I, I'm actually, I, I guess I'd be slightly more worried about some of the players who had disappointments. So Miedema, um, you know, couldn't get into this tournament, got COVID, yeah. um, had a brilliant first game against Sweden, got COVID, missed two games, then played 120 minutes against France when she, she wasn't, wasn't fit. fit. She wasn't fit. No, and she she said afterwards, her words were, this tournament's just been shit for me and I have to forget about it. Mm. And then like Frieda Marnum, one of our midfielders, plays for Norway. Norway, probably the disaster of the tournament out in the group stage. With the talent they have, they could have won it. Like on talent, Norway are, they've got several world-class players, but they're the shit coach frankly so you know maybe worry more about players like that and then you've got like Jordan Nobbs Jordan missed this tournament through injury I just feel again yeah she missed the 2019 World Cup through injury she was injured at the 2015 World Cup only played one game she's just and she was left out of the team GB squad she's just had terrible luck and I've I don't want to feel sorry for her because Jordan's like she's nearly 30 and she's an elite athlete and need me to feel sorry for her but you know what I mean like had a great career but just missed the big moments doesn't she sometimes missed the big exactly exactly and I and I I think oh man like she 
she should have been in that squad. Like she should have been in that squad and been part of this and and been one of those winners as yeah. well. And and so and so there are players as well because it's a fairly international cast, you know, who who are processing disappointment. We we don't have any players in the German team. In fact, twenty two of the twenty three in the Germany squad play in the Frauenbundesliga. No, 21, sorry. Uh, right. Sarah de Britz plays in France. And then the second choice keeper, Anne Katrin Berger, plays for Chelsea. But they all play in Germany. So, I bet you know, that number, they're, I bet they're, they're number six is getting a few approaches this morning uh, for the German. Uh, because, uh, uh, Oberdorf, so Oberdorf, I can tell you, she already had approaches and Wolfsburg gave her a new contract three weeks oh, ago okay. because teams were coming up to her from the WSL and saying, we'll offer you this. Yeah. And she basically went back to Wolfsburg and said, they're offering me this. And Wolfsburg went, all right. Then. <laughs> but yeah, Ur- Urbadorf, big, big talent, um, yeah. plays for Wolfsburg. Um, but, but yeah, like, you know, there, there could be, there could be. But th- some of these things, they have happened before. Like England haven't won a tournament before, but like the 2012 Olympics, they played to sold out stadiums. Um you know, obviously something as big as this, where you're getting like crossover fame rather than, oh, there were 50,000 people here or there were 60,000, you know, the, you're right. This is slightly different. It's different. I, I think, I think, what first of all, like I know Leah and Beth and, and like I, I don't really have concerns about that. What I want and I hope and I think is that they'll look at this more. And what's interesting about the women's game is we're still in a space where international leads it international football is what creates the interest so international football whereas in men's football now it's the other way it's the club game rules all and the international game is just like a nice distraction for a few weeks in the summer and then we all dust off our st george's flags or whatever and (laughs) throw them in the drawer till the next world cup In, in women's football international football is the driver and there's a lot more of it as well so that there's far more international games in the women's calendar more international breaks which is why you get good tournaments as well because the teams spend yeah. a lot of time together they play like you know close to 15 games a year so they they know each other that's and interesting what, what I, I sorry mate go ahead yeah yeah i was gonna say like what i hope that some of our players are thinking are like right so england have just won the euros but none of our fucking teams get anywhere in the champions league like, why is that? Why, why? We've only had one Champions League winner. It was Arsenal in 2007, but that's 15 years ago. Like, whole other era, whole other era. Um, it's almost like, you know, pre war, uh, yeah. in men's, you know, in men, it's like, you know, you know, those teams that won the European Cup in like the 50s, and you're like, Jesus, I've never even heard of them. <laughs> not not to downplay Arsenal's achievement in 2007, but I hope that like Leah and Beth come back and think, okay, why can't I lift the Champions League now? I've I've won the Euros. Like yeah. all these players I play against, all those players that knocked us out of the Champions League quarterfinal, half of them were in that Germany team, and I mean like Wolfsburg with the subs that came on. I think there were seven or eight Wolfsburg players involved in that game. Um, and they've just signed the goalkeeper, Merle Fromms, uh, from next season. So, like, I kind of hope when they come back with their club head on, which I don't ex- – I expect them to have a different type of club head today. Yeah. Um, but when they come <laughs> back with their Arsenal head on and they're back in their Arsenal, uh, their Arsenal training gear and at Colney, I hope what they're thinking is, how do I crack the Champions League now? Because I've played against these players now. I've beaten them. I've got Vivian Miedema on my team. I've got Stina Blackstinius on my team. 
like why can't we but what and and it will be the same question for Chelsea went yep. out in the group stages last year the Champions League Man City went out in the qualifier last year they're all going to be going back to their clubs I think and they're going to be saying to their coaches I've just done this so why can't I do it in the club game I think that yeah. might be the question yeah I think I think from an answer from my perspective I think I'm looking at Chelsea Tim they need to be they need to be sorted out you know um they sort of um I think they just about edged it last year and they just about deserved it but we've had some poor games that really dropped points that really cost and I think if I'm the Arsenal players I'm thinking right we've got to get back to winning the WSL it has to be this season what I like about Jonas he doesn't care he he sort of embraces the rivalry I love that about him he embraces yep. it he, he's not scared he wants to go for them and to go for Emma Hayes he calls he her he doesn't out. respect them well he, I mean he does respect them but do you know what I mean it's yeah. like I'm, you know, and there's a lot in women's football of fawning about Emma Hayes, and she's brilliant, and all. And like, I'm not having a go at Emma Hayes because you know it, it, that's all fine. <laughs> but at the same time, like there, there is a sense of like royalty there, yeah. and he he's just like he's not having it. He's I'm rattling this it. cage. I'm rattling this cage. Yes, you got some games cancelled for the Asia Cup, so Sam Kerr could play. We know what you did, and we're calling it out live on TV. I love that about him. I really do. So he's going to get the players wound up for sure. I did read somewhere today, Tim, so please correct me if I'm wrong, but Brazil won tournament as well. And, and our Raffaele, yep. she was the captain. Is that correct? Indeed. Yep. And so there could be a game between England and Brazil in the near future. It will be absolutely fantastic to watch now. And that player, Raffaele, she's, she, I think she's excellent. And did she, did she get a bit injured towards the end of last season? Because she seemed she to did. drop yeah. away. Yeah. And I was really looking at the two of them thinking that is that is top class. And if we can get that on the pitch a bit more with Leah, that could be something that really lifts the team to a new level. So, yeah, I think also you may know more about some of the signings that are coming or potentially, but um, I think um, it'd be interesting to see how else will come back and what head they come back with. And if they come back renewed focus, because they've got some unfinished business to do with Chelsea, in my opinion, before we start thinking about the World Cup next year for the women's team. So. Hundred percent, and again, Leah and Beth, Lotta Wobben, Moy. I mean, Nikita Paris is going to Manchester United, yeah. so she won't yeah. be with Arsenal next year. But those three players can all come back and say, "Right, I've lifted that trophy now. Like, why can't why can't I lift the WSL? Exactly. Like, why, like you know, and get because it's not just that Arsenal haven't won the WSL since 2019; they haven't won anything since 2019. They keep losing cup finals to Man City and Chelsea, and I really hope. That you know, particularly Lee and Beth can take this experience and say, the next time we're in the cup final at Wembley and we're playing Chelsea, we don't choke and lose three nil. Like yep. not on my watch. Like exactly. I've played against Germany, hundred and twenty minutes when my legs were burning, my lungs were burning, and they're brilliant and they're on top, and we found a way to win, and that's the experience I want to bring back. And you're right to mention Hafaeli as well. Won the Copper America. That's Arsenal's centre half pairing in the space of 20 hours, captain their clubs, uh, their countries, to continental titles. That is Arsenal's first choice centre-half pairing. They don't have to fear anyone. Absolutely. And I hope that, again, they both come back and they're just like, look, it, it, the Copa America, look, Brazil, Brazil always win that. Um, in women's football, it's largely a population thing because Brazil yeah. is bigger than the rest of South America put together. But nonetheless, she was the captain. And the reason it was significant for Brazil is because they went without Marta this time. That's why okay. Rafaeli was captain. Mm. So they won it without Marta. 
Um, and they, they're undergoing a transition in Brazil because a lot of these players you've seen for years, like Formiga was 43 when she retired wow. last year from the Brazilian national team. She's been in there 25 years, gone. Marta has been there 15, 16 years and not gone, but she was injured for this tournament and they're, they're kind of moving on. And Rafaeli was given, you know, like you're the leader of this team now. Marta's been wearing that captain's armband for 15 years. So it was, it was a, big it's moment. a big thing. It's big a very moment. big thing. Big moment. And that's our first choice center half pairing who, who are coming back with gold medals in their pockets. And that's what I'd love to see transferred to Arsenal next year. That kind yep. of, you know, we got nothing to fear. Yeah. Yep. We got nothing to fear. And unfortunately, I think, you know, Arsenal in that three years, I think we've lost four, five cup finals, all to City and Chelsea. Yep. And so the next, so there has been a mental block. So the next time it happens, and it will happen, I, I think Arsenal will probably get to a final again next year, and it will probably be Man City and Chelsea. Yeah. So even like with the WSL, if it's the FA Cup, if we're in the final, right, this time, this time, I've played at this stadium, I've won at this stadium, this time it's happening by hook yeah. or by crook. That's something I really hope they bring back. Absolutely. So I have to say, I have to admit to you, I mean, I've, I've got an interest, you know, I've got an interest in women's game, but I, I can't explain why. <laughs> I don't know why. I'm going to admit something to the listener now. But I found it really emotional and I was close to tears and and um, very close to tears, shall we say. And I don't understand why. I think maybe there's been a an underlying struggle to get to this point and Players like Rachel Yankee came to mind and Kelly Smith came to mind. If they were around today, they'd walk into that team. You know what I mean? It's like, um, and it's like, and I just felt emotional watching him, right? Who's really emotional about it. But I, I found the whole thing more emotional than I expected. And, and I haven't been to live women games like you have for the last 15 years or so. I mean, I just don't know how you held it together. I heard you do the podcast with Athletic. I don't know how you held it together. No way I could have held it together. And um, so, yeah, I just wanted to see how... Was you, was you emotional, Tim, for the final part? Was you emotional oh. at the end? Oh, big time. I think what you're describing there is probably something close to like akin to the Olympics, right? Mm. Like lots of people feel that connection because they feel more connected to the athletes and because of that history of struggle and things like that, like you mentioned. Like, definitely, my, my angle with covering this has always been the same, that it's like, it, it's football. I yeah. like football. Like, it doesn't, like, the women's part, certainly when I was younger, never mattered to me. It's not that, that's not, I, you know, I didn't start watching or writing about it because I wanted to fight with people about gender equality and yeah. things like that. Like, it's just, it's football and I like it. But, yeah, I, I guess to close, like, yeah, Definitely, like I, I did feel emotional about because you can't, as much as I say that, you can't come into the space and not relate to and hear about and talk to people about that struggle and not just the players, but the other journalists as well who struggle to cover it, like pay their own money to cover it and things like that. Yeah. And then just hearing about like, what about girls who aren't going to play in the WSL and aren't going to be England internationals and just want to fucking play football? Like, yeah. if Where do I they go today? To, Where do they go? Do yeah, you know? exactly. Yeah. If I wanted to play 11-a-side football, Clive, I bet within a mile of my house I could find a team, two yeah. miles of my house, no problem. I could just go on Facebook, you know, Kent football teams, I'd find one. Yeah. Could I do that if I was a woman? You know, and, and like, look, 
I'm like, I, I'm, you know, as much as I hate to admit it, I'm not going to be a professional footballer. I'm not going to play for England. Neither, I'm mate. 38. My hips are buggered. It's not going to happen. But I know I can go and play football. I know I can yeah. go and play power league, no problem. And, and really, if we're talking about legacy here, to me, there has to be two things that happen. One, girls just have to be able to play football because they yeah. want to, because they can. It has to be PE. They have to be able to go to Power League and play and blah, 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 blah. The other thing, and this this is a whole separate podcast in itself, and this is one I think we should and can do, yeah. um, is that that England team in, you know, five, six, seven years, it needs to look different. Yeah, like I, watched I know where you're going. England, yeah, I watched England-Sweden, and honestly, I think England had more blonde ponytails in yeah. their starting 11 yeah. than Sweden did. Yeah. And, and there are reasons you know, for that's that. That's got to change. Yeah. There are reasons for that. And I think as we as we react to this, not just what I say we, the role we, um, there will be a, a new lens on the game. And yep. it may look initially critical, but it's for the betterment of the game yep. overall. And I think And the players and everyone in it, I promise you they understand that they as do. well. Like they, they don't do. feel attacked yeah. and like they're they're on board with that. It's gonna be interesting to watch the next few days weeks tim i know you'll be right there but um yeah this whole experience has been absolutely fantastic and i I gotta say mate i'm really pleased for you to have that moment on the big day in the country some of those players you've watched for many many years for different teams and different parts of the country a lot of the listeners don't know how many miles you travel to watch these games i do because i take your ticket (laughs) the other home games so I'm happy about it. <laughs> so, but that shouldn't happen, Troy's team. Should they shouldn't be playing at the same time? And that's another thing we need yeah, to do, right? So, um, yeah, yeah. So th- there's so much work to do, and um, so mate, you keep doing your thing and making sure that we get to learn about this game for those interested. I hope they are interested because I certainly am, and I'll be even more so going forward. Yeah, hundred percent. And and you know, to that end, we'll we'll do more podcasts like this. I think because there's just there's so many different different kind of strands and threads to pull at so absolutely people uh, like we, it if they feedback and they say yeah we like it we want to see more of this want to push us in the right direction what do you want to hear more of and then we can do yep. this again right and um because i'm a madman for football and tim's just the same right so uh, we'll, i'm sure we'll uh, be able to put our knowledge together and actually make something work for you yeah, 100% we'll do that. And yeah, I uh, hope you enjoyed this. Like I said, we we didn't script this conversation at all. This is all remnants and pieces, bits and pieces we've put together from WhatsApp discussions and pre-pod discussions we've had over the last few kind of months and couple of years. And, and, and yeah, like I say, we'll do more of this. So obviously busy week on our content feed with things like the all or nothing uh, documentary coming out and we'll do some shows around that obviously we'll do our season preview and predictions pod uh, that will come out later this week we've already had like the monday pod come out so 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 much going on in this space whether you're a patron or whether you aren't um in in either scenario we love you very dearly. Thank you very much for listening to this. Hope that you really found it interesting. And like Clive and I say, we'll uh, we'll do this more often. But until then, take care of yourselves. And we'll speak to you probably in a few hours, to be honest. It's only like two hours <laughs> since we finished the last podcast. So probably before I go to bed tonight, I'll be saying this again. But until then, take it easy and ciao, ciao.